This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. You know, I don't know about you, but man, it's strange sometimes when God talks to you as you'd ever dreamed of your mind in a million years. It's Grandma's Day. Who would have ever dreamed that? <laughs> you know, you're up here worshiping God and saying, Lord, is there anything you want to say to anybody? Lord, anybody you want to minister to? He says, tell me it's Grandma's Day. I said, what's Grandma's Day? He said, the Grandma's Day blessed and refreshed because they're standing for a great work. But you know, when I was, when I was praying for one of them there, I didn't think about it. But Grandma Price prayed me into the family of God. Grandma's prayers changing one man. They've been able to change thousands of people over the course of the last bunches of years I've ministered people. I don't know how many people I've led to the Lord. I don't know how many people I've taught the Word of God to that God put victory in their lives because of what I taught them. I'm not bragging on I'm bragging on Jesus using my grandma to pray to God to change me and get me in the family of God. But how, how many cousins have I got around the nation that do the things they're doing for Jesus? And how many others that grandma's prayers? She's been in heaven now for a long time. But how many people are affected? And this is what God wants to get across to you grandmas. You may think you're insignificant and nobody cares. My grandma, I'll tell you what I said. I come from a pure heathen family, man. Murderers, bootleggers, a lot of bad people. And they mocked grandma, made fun of grandma all the time because grandma wasn't like any of the rest of them. And grandma wouldn't change. Grandma wouldn't change. She stayed being grandma. She wouldn't drink, smoke, cuss, or gamble. She wouldn't do any of the stuff the rest of all the kids everybody else was doing. Grandma was consistent. You never had to ask grandma on Sunday morning, can you do this, grandma? You didn't even ask her about Sunday morning. Sunday morning was reserved forever. Sunday morning was church, made no difference what you was doing, what was going on. You couldn't get her out of church. That's where she was on Sunday morning all the days of her life. Grandma was consistent. She was reliable. You never had to ask her. And that's what God wants to tell you grandmas. No matter how it feels like letting loose and backing off, nobody cares. The one person that does care is up in heaven listening to you right now. Amen. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said it. And when we take our last breath and we go to heaven... I don't want to be standing there looking around for my family and say, oh, no, they didn't make it. Maybe I should have kept on praying. No, I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on doing what i got to do. When I get to, when I get to heaven, you know, Jesus said, well, we've got a sermon down there, don't we? But we'll get to that other one in a minute. Jesus said in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you, you may be also... And so, I don't know exactly how it is in heaven. I know someone, like by reading the Bible about it, but I look at it this way. There must be a lot of neighborhoods in heaven with lots of mansions in the neighborhood. And I want the Samples neighborhood, where the Samples mansions are, to be huge. I, there's a whole lot of Samples in my family tree, and I want to see a whole lot of, over oh, really, what's that neighborhood over there? Well, that's where the Samples are. All those different mansions around there that have Samples names on them, because my family kind of is the Genesis 126 kind of family. He said, be fruitful and multiply. So, you know, my wife and I, between we have eight children. We have a lot of grandchildren. And our children are just getting started on repopulating and getting a hold of Genesis 126. So I know just in this one part of the family tree, there's a lot of mansions to be built. And so anyway, for you, I just want to tell you, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't go by what you see. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. And you know, there's a saying that I've heard out in the world before, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Well, I can say in my case that is very true. The better I was, the harder I fell for Jesus. I fell in love with Jesus almost 38 years ago. I stuck with Jesus. But if you knew some of the people from my past that saw me before I was a Christian... They would have told you we'd have never, ever, 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 ever dreamed he'd get saved. How do I know that? Because after I was saved, there was one really religious guy that I worked with at the truck dock. And one day out of the truck dock, I prayed for a guy to get saved. I led a lot of people to the Lord on my job. I led a guy to Jesus out of the truck dock. 
I went to the break room. This religious guy was in there. And he said, well, I would have never dreamed that. And I said, well, did you ever witness to him? He said, no. And then he said, but how can you be saved? I said, well, what any, any good from you? I said, all those years I was tormented. You never told me about Jesus. He said, I was scared of you. I thought you was too mean. And I said, well, I wasn't like Paul in the New Testament. I didn't kill any Christians. And when you know the story of the Bible, in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul's claim to fame to start off with was putting Christians in jail for being Christians. Killing Christians because they believed in Christ. So I told this guy I wouldn't witness to me. I said, hey, I wasn't as mean as him. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't put anybody in prison. And you know this guy, he caught a revelation. He said, well, you're right, you did, did you? And we become good Christian brothers then. But when I was out there cussing everybody, wanting to hurt everybody, being mean to everybody, that's what I need to hear from him. So I'm telling you right now, for your grandkids, for your kids, for people that you know, the only reason they're acting like they're acting is because of the inside they need to hear the truth. When they hear the, when they hear the truth that Jesus will change them, then they got a chance of changing. And what happens if they turn you down? In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And so you do what you can do, and then you let God send somebody else to take care of it. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand. That's better give way to <laughs> go, to, go to preaching too much. But uh, that's our number one goal in life is to get people born again, especially our own family. Amen? We want our families to go to heaven. All right. Now, how many... Uh, need a, need an outline for the sermon today. Does anybody need one of these that didn't get one? Hold up your hand if you need a sermon outline. Okay. Get the sermon outlines. And I want to show you a couple books out of the bookstore today. That's in line with what we're talking about. Now that one there is on the screen. We didn't have any pictures of and put up there. But this here is about the anointing. We're going to be talking about God's anointing today. And if you're a new Christian or have been around a church like this, Talks about the anointing. We'll tell you some bit of what we're talking about today, a little bit about the anointing. But this is a really good book that helps you understand that. And then this here is, He gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto men. And we're going to be talking about this. The Bible teaches about, teaches about a lot of different kinds of gifts. But preachers are a gift to the human race. You know, the world doesn't believe that. But Christians know that, that are real Christians. God gives gifts to the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, when we pioneered our first church back in 1992, this book had just came out. And I really, really, really studied this book for months and months and months and months to learn how to pastor. Because Bible schools don't really teach you how to pastor. They tell you a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in theory, a lot of stuff that they think they know. But you don't know how to pastor until you're out there doing it. You know, you, you can read about swimming lessons. But till you're in the water over your head trying to swim, you don't really know what it's about. You read about it. But you're out there and it feels like you're drowning. You start really having to swim. That's when you know what swimming is. And I'll tell you what, pastoring sounds like a lot of fun. But if you don't have God's anointing and know how to do what God called you to do, then you start drowning real quick. But we learned some things. Those books are really good. I think today in the sermon, you're going to get some things out of this. Uh, when I started putting this together last week before Harvest Fest, I, this isn't at all what I would have done. The Holy Spirit does things the way he wants to do them. And a lot of things you think, well, this is what I ought to do. And so whenever I'm writing out sermons, I'm prayed up and studied up, and I start writing. But I, I, I yield my heart, my thinking, and my hand writing sermons out to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'm thinking one thing, but something else comes out. And so that's where we are today again. And so I, I want to read some notes down here I wrote. Number one, concerning Harvest Fest, the Lord Give me a word today over and over and over again. All you Harvest Fest workers, we're going to talk about this a little bit, so we really, really sincerely thank you for what you're doing. But Jesus told me this. He said Friday was just a practice run. It's preparing us for bigger and better things. I just kept on hearing that over and over and over from the Holy Spirit today. And you're going to see why God said what he said when we get into what I've got here as we get into the message. Now, you need to write this down. He was preparing us for bigger and better things. 
He's preparing us for bigger and better things. And so the most impressive thing to Jesus Friday night, now listen to this, wasn't all the people that came and had fun, or not even the ones that prayed the prayer of salvation. Those things were all great and wonderful. Thirteen people prayed that prayer. I haven't lined up the team yet because everybody's been so busy doing what we're doing. We were busy, but we'll be having meetings to go over numbers of things and what happened. I don't know anything about much of what happened yet at all as far as statistics, but we will find out more. But the most impressive thing, I'm talking about to Jesus. See, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. God sees things from an eternal perspective. We see things from a temporary natural side. Unless we look with the eyes of faith. And so the Lord said the thing that he loved the most was the teamwork. And this part of his family, high desert words that are working together to share his love with people from many different religious and cultural backgrounds. Jesus said the most impressive thing to him was this church working together in harmony, in unity. And when you study the book of Acts, you're going to see that's one of the major keys to Christian success in the books of Acts. They're all of one accord in one place. It says they were all with one mind, one soul, had all things common. They were all together. And because of that, great things happened in the book of Acts. I want you to look at a, a real short psalm here, Psalms 133. And somebody said, that's not in my notes. That's because that's not what he gave me when I wrote these last week. Uh, we don't have one of those religious bulletins that we make every move by what some headquarters told us to. We let the Holy Ghost go with us. But anyway, for what he's wanting to set us up for this morning, I want you to look at Psalms 133. And you're going to see why the, why the most impressive thing to Jesus was when you, as fellow believers, work together for the common good of sharing eternal things with people. So Psalms 133 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. That means nobody's fighting. And you know, I, as I'm preaching sometimes, I see things that make sense to me, but I guess I'm back in the trucking mold today. But back when I drove semis, I drove 18-wheelers, the big giant 18-wheelers, for 28 years. Somebody said, wow, that's a long time. Well, for a long time I did that. But sometimes, especially the winter time, we'd have an 18-wheeler, 80,000-pound truck that have a dead battery. And so, instead of calling a big truck wrecker, we'd get another big truck, another semi, and we had these great big log chains. And so what we'd have to do, we'd hook a chain up to the front of one truck that weighed 80,000 pounds and go pull on it Till we get the thing to start just off the clutch. But the whole thing it was, that chain was in unity. That chain was only as strong as the weakest link. If that chain broke, everything stopped. And that's the same way it is he's talking about here in unity. I've seen churches before where people start fighting each other and get jealous. They get mad about something. And when that would happen, the whole chain broke because it was all granny unity. They wasn't pulling together. And when they unhook, then you still got this truck sitting here. This other truck may be pulling, but the chain's broke, so we're going nowhere. And so that's what happens in a church. When the church is hooked up together and not having division and strife, and somebody mad about somebody else being mad about somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't work. So God says how good and how pleasant it is to him when the brethren work together in unity. That's what God says. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And then he says this. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. And that's talking about the anointing. Back in the Old Testament... For kings and for priests and for people that God set in positions of leadership and authority, they had this great big flask of oil. And they poured it on their head. And they didn't just give a little dab on the finger. They poured it on their head. said it ran down to their skirts. It ran down, soaked them with that oil. And that's symbolic 
of the New Testament anointing. And anybody here that's ever felt God's anointing come on them, you know what happens to you. You get shaky. You might fall out. But the thing is, you know that God touched you and something changed. And so he says right here, when Christians come together in unity, anointing comes into the body. Amen. It says that produces that anointing. And then he says, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. And what that's talking about, uh, I don't, I haven't really experienced this in the desert, but I grew up in the Midwest, lived in the Midwest for 54 years. And every day out there, the grass was wet. Somebody said, what's grass? Well, watch TV sometime or drive past my house and you'll see what grass is. We don't smoke it. We cut it. Okay. <laughs> but, but grass, grass is green stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying that really to be funny because I know after being out here in the desert, a lot of grass is few and far between out here in a lot of places. But back in the Midwest, everybody has grass. And you don't have to, you have to pray, you don't even have to pray for it to be wet. It rains all the time. I never saw an irrigation system until I come out here. <laughs> Didn't know what an irrigation system was until I came here. Because it says the dew. What the dew is, every morning, even if it didn't rain, there's so much moisture there. Every morning, the grass is wet. And he says right here that this place of anointing and unity says it's like the grass at a place called Hermon in Israel. said every day it's as wet as if it rained. And so it says that this anointing that comes from Christians... Working together keeps the anointing fresh every day. It says every day. Just like out there in Indiana, the grass was wet every day because of the dew. Well, out here in the desert, you have to water if you want it wet most of the time. But it says in the body of Christ, you won't be dry, but you'll be wet if you stay in unity. Now look at this next part of this verse. It says, for there the Lord commanded. How do we know that if our commander-in-chief commands something, it happens? says he commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And so that's talking about changed lives. The blessing of God is changed lives. That's people being changed by the anointing of God. And so he says right here, so you'll see why the number one thing that blessed Jesus Friday night was the unity of you guys work together in teamwork, is because unity gives place to the anointing. And then the anointing produces life forevermore, which is change in people's hearts in their lives, healing, healing for physical bodies comes because of the anointing. Deliverance from demon spirits comes because of the anointing. Sinners convicted of their sin. Oh, I remember one Friday night. Sinners convicted of their sin happens because of the anointing. How many remember we talked about fishing the previous two Sundays? And remember I said, what kind of fish that I'm fishing for is backsliders. <laughs> this was so funny. I was sitting in the Gideon's tent. Al, you could have been in on this. <laughs> I was sitting in the Gideon's tent. Me and Mrs. Pastor was late. We were tired. We were wore out. Our legs were tired. And all we wanted to do was just sit and enjoy. And this lady comes walking into the tent, about 30 years old. And Mrs. Pastor said something to her about something. How you doing? She said, I'm a backslider. <laughs> <laughs> And she said, I'm a backslider. There's something to get right with God. Then a backslide. Then I get right with God. Then a backslide. Then get right with God. And so when she did, I stuck out my hand and said, I'm Pastor Samples. The lady went, Pastor. I said, I'm Pastor Samples. I said, I preached about you last Sunday. <laughs> i tell you the true story. She said, how'd you preach about me? I said, I preached about backsliders coming. You're here. Thank you for answering the call. <laughs> So anyway, I blessed her, you know, and then she left the tip. But the whole thing was what I'm telling you, the anointing on the property out there caused the unity could cause a woman to be honest about her status. <laughs> that was so funny. That was, I'm a backslider. And like I said, I preached about you, lady. I saw you coming. <laughs> oh, well. But I want you to see right there. It says because of that unity, there was anointing. Because of that anointing, the presence of God was there. He says he commanded life forevermore. That's talking about eternal blessing, eternal blessing. So anyway, give yourselves a hand for being there Friday night and all the work you did.
And I had what we're going to look at the message already written out last week. But anyway, this was interesting. I had, I had an extended conversation with a leader from another great church in Barstow. He said he's been there 30 years. And he was so impressed with the amount of young leaders and young people in our church working and doing the things they did. He wanted to know the secret so he could take it to his church. He wanted to know the secret of how we get young people to hook up with the church. How we get young people to serve in the church, in the work of the church. Said we don't have any young leaders in our church. Been there 30 years, it's really good church. Said we don't have young people that want to do anything in our church. He said that's mostly what you got here. Yeah, I said, it wasn't, it, it wasn't by chance or accident, it was by design. We train that way. We preach that way. We lead that way. And so anyway, that's what I want to talk about today. Now we'll get to the sermon that was for all that. Of why God wanted to talk to you today about how to live a victorious Christian life. And one thing I learned early in my Christian life is that you can't give what you don't have. You can't share with somebody how to do something you haven't shared, that you haven't lived in. You have to live it before you can tell it. And so for me, to teach you about victory, I've got to know about victory. I've got to know how I got it. I've got to know how to keep it. And that's what I do every time I preach. I teach you how to get what I've got. I teach you how to live a victorious Christian life. And I think about my children. You know, in the service this morning, I got three of my sons in here today, leaders in the church. And I know other pastors that have sons my, my children's age, they're praying for their kids to get saved. You know, I hear the sad stories that their kids are out doing what they're doing, running around, been married two or three times, living with somebody, never got married, been to prison, in prison. Talk about preachers like me that preach that their kids aren't serving God. And so I can tell you, for the surety, from the Word of God, Proverbs 22, 6 does say, train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You can't force it on him. You can't threaten him. But the biggest thing is this. This is back to the grandma, to the grandma type thing. If you're not living it at home, don't be a hypocrite to the church. We've never one time, ever, ever, ever. Pastor Dave hit on this last Sunday night for his family, but, uh, well, they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. No, this is true. We've not one time, ever, ever, ever heard one of our kids say, do we have to go to church today? Yeah. Never. We taught our kids from the time they were born. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We always taught our children what a privilege it was to get to go to church. But the thing is, they saw us live when nobody was looking. What we taught people in the church to live. They saw us live it behind the scenes. You know, we haven't been perfect people. I mean, we've been stupid. I mean, everybody's got some stupid in them. So... I'm not at all saying, man, our family is all angels, and man, we're just the kind of people, man, we're walking around a little cloud nine all the time, man. We're just floating around, having a good time. Nah, nah. But we've taught our children how to live for God, how to admit our mistakes when we make mistakes, how to repent if we've done things wrong, how to live for God. So our children knew what a Christian was supposed to be according to the Bible, walking with Jesus every day. And so Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave told us last, uh, he preaches about every Sunday night. But he told us last Sunday night that his kids all ask him as the weekend's coming, is it church day yet? Is it church day yet? Is it church day yet? Let's go to church, Daddy. Let's go to church. They start asking him two or three days in advance, is it church day yet? Is it church day yet? That's the way it ought to be. You know what? That's from unity in the home where God commands the blessing. You got unity in the home, then there's anointing in the home. Ever there's anointing in the home, According to Psalm 133, there's blessing in the home. There's blessing in the home. Blessing only comes from one. It comes from Jesus. You know, you might have a lot of good times in the flesh doing a lot of things, but blessing comes from Jesus. And when children have that in their hearts, then they're going to be saying, can we go to church yet? Can we go to church yet? So I'm telling you, for Christians in this church, for what took place Friday night, 
I've taught you for the Word of God. Of course, I'm not the only one that teaches. I know that a lot of you, you know, you listen to other preachers and study the Bible, books and stuff like that. But when you learn victory from the Word of God to where you walk in victory, it makes it easy to come into a Friday night and work. It makes it easy to work for God. Some of you, a long time in advance, getting set up, doing the things that you did. But then because of that victory you have, then you share victory with others. How you got it, you tell them. And that's what we're talking about, is we as Christians, when we live a victorious Christian life, it's easy to have influence. Because people see you, and Peter said it this way, Peter said, be ready always to give an answer. Them that ask you a reason for the hope that's in you. Well, I'll tell you what, it's because uh, my family's called to football. We eat, breathe, we sleep, we, we think football. We're a football family. That's where our joy comes from. Well... Whatever your favorite uh, secular fun is, when you need healed, ask the football coach to pray for you. Lay the football on him. Or if it's baseball. Well, I'll tell you what. I can tell you who won the 1927 World Series. I can tell you how many innings they pitched. I can tell you what their uh, strikeout average was, et cetera, et cetera. But you've been married four times. You got kids by four or five different women. Tell me how to raise a good family. Well, I don't know any Bible verses, but I know the stats of all the sports. Pastor, you're stepping on sacred cows. <laughs> no, guys, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things for relaxation. Myself, I'm enjoying the World Series. I haven't watched a lot of baseball this year, but that's kind of the biggie, so I kind of. Watch that, what's going on. But when uh, this midget right here, I don't say midget, do I? This little person right here, they used to be a little person this tall when he had leukemia and he was crippled. The statistics for the Super Bowl, Johnny Unitas, or one of those guys, what I knew about them didn't get him healed, Jesus did. Had the Bible verses I know about laying hands on the sick in the name of Jesus. Call for the elders of the church to join the fall in the name of the Lord, pray in the prayer of faith. They got him healed. And so, victorious Christian living that I teach comes to number one, giving your life to Jesus. And then number two, getting serious about the Bible. And learning the Bible. And living it and praying it. So, also as a baby pastor, back in 1992... I knew that believers experienced victory and had joy in living when they got to do what Jesus put in their heart to do with their lives and in the church. I saw, I saw as a baby Christian before I became a pastor that the most, I don't know how to say it, the most frustrated, sarpus, tripping over their lip as they walked down the street Christians were the ones that weren't doing what God put in their heart to do. You know, I was thinking about Robert today. Where's Robert at? See how he's walking or doing something. I saw Robert up here today. We were doing the times at offers. Robert just stood here like I've seen Robert do for almost, I've been here 12 and a half years, but he's been at Usher for probably 30 years or more. I saw Robert standing there, and I was thinking, sometimes I ask other different people, the congregation leaders, et cetera, I say, hey, you want to speak over the offering today? You want to share a verse? You want to exhort him and... Pray with offering today. And people do that. I was looking at Robert up there. I thought, man, I've never asked Robert if Robert wanted to do the offering. I looked around and realized Robert doesn't want to do that at all. He'd be like a fish out of water. Robert has joy in living because Robert is up here doing what he does. Robert's the one. Matter of fact, <laughs> this is funny. I was getting on the hayride Friday night. And uh, this little boy, about this tall, was standing there. And I didn't recognize. I said, hey, pastor, you remember me? I stared at him, you know, kind of dark in the bright tractor lights. And I looked at him. He said, you remember me, don't you? And I said, no, I, I don't remember you. And he said, well, I haven't been here for a long time. Then he told me who he was. Last time I saw him, he was that tall. <laughs> anyway, here's what I'm getting to. He said, 
He said, is that what little guy here? He's chased me around. I said, who? He said, Robbie or something like that. I said, you mean Robert? He said, yeah, Robert. And I said, yeah, I remember you. I said, man, you're the kid. I said, you jumped over the seats. You run out of the seats. You climbed the trees. I said, man, you were everywhere. And I said, stay away from that telephone bolt. You don't start climbing because Robert's still here and he'll still get you. <laughs> and so what I've said is Robert has joy in his life as a Christian. Because Robert's doing what God put in his heart to do. You know? Some of you people in here sing like I do. Well, maybe not quite that bad, but probably close. I would have no joy hearing some of you sing up there. Had no joy hearing me sing up there. And we wouldn't want to be up there. Because God did not put that in our hearts to be up there. But then some people are up there singing... Would have no joy being out here doing some of the things that all of us do. I would have no joy working in the nursery. I could do it. That would be where my joy is. But some people here love to change those, change those sacks of poo poo. <laughs> some people love to do that. And so as a pastor for Christians to have victorious Christian living, my job is to equip you to do what God called you to do. Amen. We're all called to do something. And we could all substitute from time to time and do different things to help different people do things. But everybody sitting in this church today as a born-again Christian, you have something in your heart, your heart's desire. It's absolutely what you do. God wired you to do it. God programmed you to do it. And you do other things. But I tell you, you tell somebody's passion when they do what they love to do, they ask you for more. They say, pile it on. I want more. I want more. I want more. What you're doing what God has programmed you to do. And so that's what we're talking about today. How to enjoy a victorious Christian life. And so we're going to get to that now from the Word of God. And so I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, our mission statement, you'll sit on the bulletin. And you sit on about everything we put out, really. What our mission is, that's what our goal is. That we want to accomplish as a church. And our mission of High Desert Word Center is to equip God's people for a victorious Christian living. And, you know, that sounds like a pretty simple statement, but actually back when we pioneered back in Indiana in about 1994, 1995, had a lady that had a very uh, anointed, she's a pastor now, but a very anointed ministry to go around helping, helping pastors and churches zero in on how to identify their mission, how to express their mission in a simple way. And I remember sitting down with Mrs. Jane Hillman, every day with my staff for a couple of weeks. And we just talked about our church, talked about what was in our hearts to do, how we could express that in a way. Because, see, we're not a cookie cutter. I'll copy what somebody else does. And finally, I realized the way God has me wired, I'm wired to equip God's people for victorious Christian living through the Word of God. And somebody one time said, well, why don't you just call it victorious living? I said, no, victorious Christian living. There's a difference between living and Christian living. I said, no, the Christian stays in there. We don't take it out. I want to equip Christians how to say no to sin, how to say no to wrongdoing, how to say no to go along with the crowd of this ungodly world. They got to know how to live as Christ would live in this world. So anyway, this mission statement did not come out just because we copied it off a book, but because we really prayed and sought and saw what to do, how to express ourselves. And so anyway... That is our mission to equip you for victorious Christian living. And I base it on scripture from Ephesians chapter four. And I want to read this and go over a few things to help you see why you saw some of this happen Friday night and why it happens in your lives that are consistently hooked up as part of the program here. As you're hooked up, what happens to your life on a daily basis? But Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, I'm going to read this and come back over it. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, this talking about Jesus, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So Jesus went down, we know that, before he came up. He that descended is saved also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill or fulfill all things. And he gave some. I like the way the Amplified Bible says. Talk about ministry gifts. He gave some to be apostles. Some to be prophets. 
some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Reason being, through the perfecting or the equipping of the saints, that means the Christians. He gave pastors, teachers, ministers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect, or that word there means mature, unto a spiritually mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Now, doesn't that sound like victory when you don't let people push you around anymore and try to try to control your life? That's victory. It says, but speaking the truth in love, pastors, spiritual leaders, are to speak the truth in love. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they was talking about, you know, checking their living in another city. Talk about checking out other things. They grew up in this church here for a lot of years. Now they've moved. But I was talking to them, and they was talking about it's really hard to find a church where they won't just try to make us feel good, but where they challenge us. He says, speaking the truth in love. I love it when one of my church members that considers me to be their pastor, because see, I'm not a vice pastor as in here today. When you receive your pastor as your pastor, then you give him permission to speak into your life. And so when you're talking to a man or woman of God that you've opened the door for them to have authority in your life, when we see problems you're having and you come to us and want help, say, Pastor, do you see anything? Well, if it's somebody I know that's going to get offended because they don't really receive me as their pastor, then I've got to be nice and kind of mush it over, wanting to be able to stick around long enough to hopefully change. But when somebody comes to me that has received me, as a gift from God to speak into their life, then they say that I speak the truth in love then. I say, you know what? You may not recognize it. Everybody knows it but you. You got a big mouth. You talk too much. Which means you're sinning too much. Because Proverbs ten nineteen says of the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. He that faith his lips is wise. Well, you can't tell somebody's got a big mouth. They've got a big mouth. Unless they're open to correction from the man of God that they trust. And so he says, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. And so we need to talk to people sometimes in a way that their head doesn't want to hear it. But their heart says, I came for help. I want help. Would you tell me the truth? I promise you I won't get offended. I promise you I won't run. Tell me what I need to hear from God's eyes because I know I've got problems in my life. Psychologists haven't helped me. Books haven't helped me. My sinner friends haven't helped me. Only God can help me. And God put me under your care. Will you tell me what I need to do to make my life better? That's what he's talking about, speaking the truth in love. Because what a pastor with God's heart, and Jeremiah 3.15 says he puts his heart in pastors, to help people, but a pastor of God's heart tells you something that you don't like about you, it's not to judge you, it's not to hurt you, it's not to be critical, it's not to tear you down, it's not to belittle you, it's to say, hey, if you'll make this adjustment in your life, that area will start changing. And then when that area starts changing, guess what? The one that used to not have friends, you're going to start having a lot of friends because you're not going to run them off anymore. Amen. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Speaking the truth in love may grow up. And so you begin to grow up when you hear the truth and you want to change. Grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now look at this. From whom the whole body fitly joined together, that's unity, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. And once again, being in California, a joint is not talking about marijuana. Every, amen. It says every joint supplieth. And that's talking about we as the body of Christ. We talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week. The body of Christ, God uses the physical body as an example of his spiritual body. Here the spirit, we're all hooked up together. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are legs, some of us are hands. We're all different things. 
But in our life, all the body parts in our physical body works right, then the body does good things. In the body of Christ, with every joint supply, and that means with everybody, no matter what it is they're doing, supplying, it says the body's going to be healthy. Which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body. That means the body grows by having more members. Make an increase of the body into the edifying of itself that love. And so I'm going to look at a couple things here. And then I'll be leaving it at that. But this is how you have a victorious Christian life. When you find out what God wants you to do, how to do it, and you begin to change. So anyway, back to verse 7. It said, we're all given grace. And that word grace here means divine enablement. It means divine enablement. God gives you the ability, he gives you a supernatural ability to do what he's called you to do. God gives believers divine enablement or grace to do what he's called you to do. Now notice verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he sitteth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so God here is talking about ministry gifts. Verse 11. I hit it on a second ago, but look at this. He says he's given gifts unto men. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we call this fivefold ministry gifts. Fivefold ministry gifts. This is not gifts of the Spirit. This is not money. Fivefold ministry gifts. Five varieties. Of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He isn't talking about someone that could give an exhorted testimony sometimes. Or a Sunday school teacher. There's a difference between a Sunday school teacher and a five-fold ministry teacher such as what I am. I'm a, there's two gifts that God gave me that I live in when I minister. The pastor gift and the teacher gift. Pastors can love with the heart of God because God gave it to us. We can behind the scenes hear some of the most grossest things in people's lives that they need delivered from, they want delivered from. Some of the most horrible, heart-wrenching stories and family things you'd ever imagine. But if our heart of God and us as pastors, we can help people get through it and get over it and move on without judging them or running them down or making them feel like rats, although they are, but we don't make them feel that way because of that pastor's gift. And if the teacher's gift is not reading a Sunday school lesson, it's doing what I'm doing today, is taking the Word of God with the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit and explaining it in a way that anybody can get it. And so that's what God gave us. And so he's not talking about somebody that's used on occasion to do something, but it's a regular thing that we live by to help God's people. Now I want you to look at verse 12, and here's what he's talking about. Of this pastor's teacher's gift. He says, for the perfecting of the saints. And that perfecting, if you've got a new living translation, another from the Greek, that perfecting means equipping. Equipping. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are gifted by Jesus and have his divine enablement to equip God's people for a victorious Christian's living. We have supernatural gifting and abilities from God to equip the people for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. So how many of you did any kind of work at all for Harvest Fest? Anything at all? Pretty much everybody here had something different somewhere to work for Harvest Fest. How many of you do anything at all for Jesus in the church? You've been equipped to do that. You've been equipped to do that. Uh, you're equipped by the word of God that you hear taught and the anointing of grace of God to serve Jesus by serving his people. You're graced, you're anointed by what you hear and what you yield to. Now hold your place and look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Matthew 25 is an awesome chapter of Matthew about how Jesus sees things. How things work. This last part of Matthew 25, he's talking about visiting people in prison, ministering to the homeless, 
uh, going to nursing homes, hospitals, to anybody that has a need, he's about ministering to his people. And he ends up in verse 40 saying this. Matthew 25, verse 40. And this he's talking about at judgment time. And the king shall answer and say unto them, the ones that minister to people, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Jesus says when you're ministering to people, he takes it personal as you're ministering to him. Because he sees all of us as part of him. You know, he's the vine, we're the branches. And so you can't minister to the branch without helping the vine. And so Jesus says, we're ministering to him. And so Jesus takes it personal when you make yourself available to let him anoint you, save others, serve others in his name. He takes it personal. You know, I remember something that the Lord said to me back in February of 1995. I've told you before, we, you know, you may have heard it, may not have. But anyway, back in 1995, we had 63 straight days with no breaks in the action of a Holy Ghost revival, Holy Ghost move, whatever you want to call it. But what preceded that thing, we were praying. God had sent us to Martinsville, Indiana, to Pioneer Church. So... Our church started in November of 1992, and in February of 1995, we had people around the world come to this thing the last 60 days. But anyway, here's what God told me, and you know, you military guys will understand this. We've taught out Matthew 8 here before, how Jesus talked about the uh, centurion, the Roman officer. He said, I'm under authority, and so I've got authority. He said, I submit to authority, I've got authority. Well, the highest authority in the church is Jesus. He's the Lord over the church. But Jesus works through the pastor to lead the church. He gives direction to the pastor about what our assignments are, what we're going to do. He doesn't give direction to the people in the nursery or the head usher or the Sunday school teachers what he wants to do. Uh, he gives it to the head officer, which is the pastor. And so God talked to me in 1995. He said, I want to have... Revival in your church. He said, I put you in the church because I knew you submitted to me and I gave you this church, this building. He said, so I could use it. He said, can I have your permission to use your building for the Holy Ghost to come in? And I said, you're asking me? Do you have permission? And God said, I give authority, but I work through authority. He said, I can't just move in because I want to. He said, I come in because you let me. <laughs> I said, welcome, Holy Ghost. We printed up a great big banner across the front of our church, a huge banner, and said, welcome, Holy Ghost. And then, 63 days straight, the Holy Ghost came in. People saved, people healed, people filled. I'll tell you what, at that Holy Ghost revival, I met one of the biggest men physically I'd ever met. He was an Indianapolis Colts football player. Man, I'll tell you, I never was around any real football players. All I knew was the high school guys at Georgia High. I didn't know a real one. But we had the whole altar lined up with people up here seeking God, worshiping God. And I walked up behind this one guy, and he was on his knees. I looked up at his hands. They were past my head. <laughs> I looked at him like that. And then somebody told me he was a Colts football player. But the whole thing was God... Wanted to minister to a lot of people, so he used authority. And so I made myself available as a pastor, as a church, and so God anointed us for what he did. So that's what I'm telling you for you. When you make yourself available to God, God has a reason to anoint you. God has a reason to give you grace for serving if you're serving. You know what I've never noticed? I've never noticed an anointing to push that remote control. Matter of fact, I get to be the boss of it if she lets me. <laughs> I've never noticed an anointing for cutting my grass. But I do notice an anointing. Every time I get up here to do what I'm doing, I'm anointed. Every time I make a hospital call, the anointing shows up. Every time... I talk to a backslider 
or a lost person at a grocery store, God's anointing comes down on me right there. God's grace and God's anointing comes in when you let God use you to serve others. Amen. Amen. Now that, that explains that explain some things to you. Did you notice, I'm talking about the ones that work Friday or even at other times to serve for Jesus. Did you notice how long you could work at Harvest Fest? Some of you all week long and not really get worn out like you think you would. Maybe you didn't even get worn out after it was all over. After you got home, then all of a sudden, like a ton of bricks. Oh, I got to rest. That's because you weren't working some secular event. You were working something that had eternal significance. Something that had eternity set before people's faces of eternal things. And so when you work for Jesus and things that involve eternal values, he will anoint you. I want to say that again. So you get this. He's wanting you to see about victorious Christian living and the victory you had through this. And listen to this, because sometimes if you're not uh, well taught in spiritual things from the Bible, you don't understand things. And so now you know, uh, like somebody like me that stands up here all the time, you know what I feel like now when I get up here. I feel like I'm walking on cloud nine. Some days I come up here. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, said, Pastor, do you ever get nervous before you get up there? I said, every time I get up here. I said, every time before I get up here, yeah, I'm nervous. But when I get up here, God's anointing comes on me. When God's anointing comes on me, man, I'll tell you what, some of the things I say up here, the boldness comes out of me. I wouldn't say that for anything without the anointing. When God's anointing comes on me, by the way, one definition of the anointing is this. Dr. Barclay teaches this in our Bible school. The anointing, he says, that I see it in the Word of God, simply means the presence of Jesus. The anointing is the presence of Jesus. Did you ever notice, if you've ever read the Bible much, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus wasn't real nice all the time. Did you ever notice that? How many think it would be real nice for a preacher to walk into your church and flip your tables over and make a whip and run a bunch of religious leaders out the door and say, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you made a den of thieves and robbers and make a whip. That wasn't nice, was it? But Jesus said, well, yeah, this pastor, he called them snakes and vipers. Told them graves. Said you stink. Said you're dead men's bones. Jesus said that to religious people. He said those things to him. But in Luke 4, 18, he said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to say it. And so when the anointing comes on people, it's the presence of Jesus wanting to help people. And when you help people, you get bold. You catch their attention. And I was talking to a man of God the other day about my life. I said, every time I said under my pastor, Dr. Barclay, I said, there's something he says that offends me. But as soon as I stop and tell my flesh, shut up, and he teaches the Bible, and I see it in the Bible, then I say, thank you, Jesus, I receive. Thank you, Jesus, I'll change. Because when you're a preacher with the anointing of God, how are you going to help somebody if you don't get their attention? And when you step on their toes and get their attention, and you make them stop to think, as long as they have a tender heart and a teachable spirit, they're going to stop and listen. They're going to say, wow, I never saw that before. Lord, I want to change. And I'll tell you, one of my prayers that I pray all the time is Jesus I'm still living, so I want to still grow. I want to grow because I know nobody knows everything but God. And God doesn't tell one preacher everything. God tells lots of preachers lots of things. And when preachers still listen to other good preachers, the preachers can change because preachers are, first of all, believers. So as a believer, I want to change. So that's what I'm saying about this here. That when I step under that anointing to preach and teach the Word of God, Things come out of me, and sometimes if you listen to me very long, I'll say, hey, make sure when you write that down, I want you to tell me later on what I said. I never heard that like that. Come on, write that down. Tell me later. Because I want to hear later what I said, because the presence of Jesus through me 
sets of things that my head didn't know. But God used my heart and my voice to say it. So if God used my heart and my voice to say it, I need it too. I want to hear it. So I want to hear it back later. And so now for you, you're working at Harvest Fest. When the anointing of God came on you, some of you talked to some people there, and you said some things that your head didn't know. You spoke out of your heart. See, we have to always remember there's a difference between our heart and our head. And when I pray for services, I say, Lord, I want to make sure I minister to the people today out of my spirit and not my soul. Out of my spirit and not my head. I yield to you, Jesus, to use my spirit to speak things. And I don't want my head to get in the way. I want you to be able to say what you want to say. And so I'm telling you, in Victorious Christian Living, Friday night, you got to experience the anointing in many ways. The grace of God enabled you to do things. And then the anointing of God gave you the ability to speak to people and to help people do things. Amen. And that's victorious Christian living because how can you get that anointing on you if that's spilling into your everyday life? Amen. Has anybody, has anybody ever drank a glass of water or anything? It doesn't get all the way up. There's some drops in there hanging on. Something's going. And when you get in this ministry anointing, ministering to people, something's bound to stick with you when you get out there. And, you know, a lot of people that don't understand things say, well, I'll tell you what, I just felt so good when I was doing that. Well, it might have been a good feeling, but actually it was the anointing. And the anointing is not a feeling. The anointing is the manifestation of Jesus. And so people come into church service like this, people that don't know God, people know nothing, and say, you know what, I just feel so good when I get around that church. Well, yeah, it makes your outside feel good, but it's the anointing of God getting in you that's making you feel good. Because the anointing, the anointing runs off demons. The anointing will kill sickness and disease. The anointing will make a messed up mind get stable. The anointing is the presence of Jesus. And so in a church service like this, I get all anointed up, especially if I minister very long. I am walking on cloud nine. But I'll tell you what, you ask my wife what happens every Sunday, it's the same thing. I get home, that anointing starts to lift. And then my flesh, that was saturated with that anointing, begins to come back to the real world. And then watch out, man, it's checkout time. (laughs) And so that's what I'm telling you about ministering in the church in any capacity our minister has some event like Harvest Fest. As long as that anointing is on you, it's carried you. But did anybody notice when you got away from the anointing where you didn't need it anymore, it was checkout time? It's time, man, it's time, it's time to crash. Boy, we got to do something about this. That's because your flesh can only endure that anointing for a certain amount of time because that's a heavy presence of God on your flesh. And your earthly body isn't made to carry that forever. And so that's why you felt like you did while you was doing what you did. That's why you didn't feel like crash time after it was over. Because the anointing began to lift, it was rest time. As a matter of fact, that's why God talks about a Sabbath day rest. A Sabbath day rest. The, sa- the Sabbath in the New Testament is any day that you get to take off and rest for God. And you know, religious people don't understand how that works. But God says there's not one day above any other day. says they're all the same, but we're the ones. We're the ones that are precious at His sight. We're the ones that God wants to get rest, refreshed, so He can fill us up again and send us back out to work. Amen? All right. So anyway, that anointing was what gave you the supernatural ability for a while to work. Now look at verse 12 again. It says, For the work of the ministry... For the edifying, edifying of the body of Christ. To edify means to build up, to grow. To build up, to grow. So God's way is He gives divine enablement and gifts to pastors, teachers, to teach and role model how to live for Christ. And this spiritually equips believers to work in the church, which in turn brings strength and numerical growth to the church. To edify, to build up, to grow the church. So when you got strong members 
and they're working in the church, that other people come around the church, they're getting blessed by the people. And the church is getting edified. You come in here, you get edified and build up. You take it out there and edify and build up the people. And then he says the church grows. <clears throat> and then he goes out to these next few verses. We read them already. We're getting out of time. But you get down to verse 16. We'll close right there. Talks about Jesus as the head. And says the whole body joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the fashion working in the measure of every part, makes increase makes increase in the body. That means church growth. That means the kingdom of God grows, makes increase of the body to edify itself in love. So the end result is this, victorious Christian living as we're hooked up together. I do what I'm wired to do. You do what you're wired to do. We do it together with the grace of God and the anointing of God. People get around us, their lives are changed, and the church grows. Now, that's what God wants to happen. So the greatest thing that Jesus saw Friday night was we were working together as a team, as a unit. And praise God, 13 people got born again. Lots of other people got blessed. But that was just practice time. Amen. We're looking for the big event, aren't we? Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.